I know we've been singing that song an awful lot recently, um, but I feel that's a song for such a time right now. I feel it's a song that reminds us of how good God has been to each of us. And we need to remember, remember that, really, that he's been so good to every one of us. He forgives us, he lifts us up, he blesses us. And certainly it's a song that you could sing over David's life. Because David knew something, he knew a lot about the goodness of God. And we're going to see today that David fell. And I just think it's something we want to deal very tenderly with today. Because all of us have fallen in one way or another. We've all got our secret uh, secret past, things that we're very ashamed of. All of us, we're all made of the same stuff. And if we haven't done what David did, then we have the potential to do it. Put any of us into the situation that where we're most tempted and any of us could fall. And I just feel today that God wants to show us how amazing he is and how when we fall, he will pick us up again. He's longing for us to turn to him because he wants to set us back on our feet. And so we're going to remind ourselves that last week we looked at how David had had this ongoing relationship with these people called the Ammonites and how their leader was called Nahash, which in many ways he was a picture of Satan uh, and the meaning of his name, Nahash, the meaning of his name was to hiss or to entice, try to trap. And we know that the enemy, this is exactly what he does. How often do we hear that hiss of the serpent in our ears, trying to pull us into an enticement, into a place where we will fall and bring shame to the Lord. We saw that these Ammonites, their, their purpose was to bring shame on the name of the God of Israel. And I can tell you that Satan wants you and wants me to bring shame on God's name. And so we're reminded of the need all over again. We're reminded of the need to keep our shield of faith up and our sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we've been thinking a lot about this recently. And I think it was the week before last that at the very end, when many of you came forward to make a statement that you wanted to go forward with God, that you wanted to move from where you were and you wanted to go take a step with God into all that he has for you. If you remember those two weeks ago that Jerry gave a word about the need to keep our, our sword of the spirit in our right hand and the shield of faith in our left hand. And just last week, whenever everyone had gone home and Jerry and I were about to leave, we had a little conversation about last week and Jerry just came out with this verse and I just grabbed this verse right away in my spirit. And I was going to the prayer room afterwards for an hour just to spend with the Lord after last week's Eagles. And I just read this verse over and over again. I think it's an amazing verse. One I haven't passed an awful lot of attention to, I must say, over the years. It's in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 7. And it's particularly clear in the New Living Translation. Here's what it says in the New Living Translation. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack that's the sword and the left hand for defense that's the shield and i just could not get that verse out of my mind and i feel we need to put that firmly in our heart that it's not we don't stand we aren't able to attack the enemy on our own merits or our own righteousness but because that when we receive jesus as our savior he clothes us in the in the garments of salvation he, he dresses us in righteousness 
And because of righteousness, because we are in Christ and we are covered by Christ, we actually have this armor of righteousness, these weapons of righteousness, that we are not helpless and hopeless, but we are women who can be strong in the Lord. If we realize that we have these weapons, one on our right and one on our left, now, the sad thing is that it seems that in this particular story that we're going to read today, it seems that somehow David had been listening to these Ammonites or whatever had been going on in his life. He had become, whether he was weary or, or just uh, had grown sort of kind of into a lazy or lifestyle, whether he had begun to think that he could do anything now that he was king, whatever lies he had been listening to, David was in a weak place and we're going to see he didn't have his shield of faith up and he didn't have the sword in his hand. And I'll tell you that the enemy will try to disarm you if he can. He will try to get you to stop believing and stop having faith in God. That's your shield. And he will try to stop you reading God's word and taking it into your heart and using it as a sword to defeat the enemy. Because when we hear God and we speak out what God says, I tell you, when you speak out and declare what God says in your life and not what the enemy is saying, you're using the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you can take down the enemy. You can drive him away by using the sword of the Spirit. But it seems that David had somehow got into this lazy way. And I tell you, we don't, we don't speak as if we are better than David because we know, each of us know in our hearts, that we have the potential to drift. Yeah. And we have the potential to listen to the lies. And I believe there's women in here today and you're listening to lies of the enemy even right today. You're listening to lies that, that you can't do this or you can't do that or this is always going to go bad. And You're listening to the lies of negativity. You're listening to the lies that the enemy's putting condemnation on you. Whenever Jesus himself has said there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So I believe that the enemy even today would try to make you put down your shield of faith, stop believing and try to stop you using the sword of the spirit. But here's David, and I'm going to read the first uh, four verses of this story. 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 to 4. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings went out to battle, that David sent Joab, he didn't go himself, but he sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon. That's the Ammonites that we were talking about last week. And they besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. He wasn't on the alert. He was in lazy mode. He wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't in tune with heaven. He was. He, the enemy had drawn him away. Verse two. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. I'd like you just to notice that it was the evening. He got up out of his bed. <laughs> one evening. So he's having a pampered lifestyle in the palace. He's taking it easy. We talk about living on clouds of ease. He thinks he has no war to fight. He, he has let his guard down. I'll tell you that the enemy wants you to put your guard down. And he wants you to stop. Stop being a warrior. He wants you to stop being alert to those lies that the enemy would whisper in your ear. David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. So you see right away, you see that instead of fighting the Ammonites and being out there doing his business that God had called him to do with the army, he's opted out of the army, he's not in the battle, and he's lounging until the afternoon, and he, or is it even, even, the, even later into the evening, and he is standing, having a look, having a look over his place up in the palaces. If you go to the old city and you see the city of David, you can see how it slopes down and he could obviously look down over and he could see Bathsheba who was doing this cleansing bathing. Uh, and of course we know that the trap had been set by the enemy and he had just opened him up to his greatest temptation which was sexual temptation. That, not, that might not be uh, particularly your particular temptation. It might be or it mightn't be, but there'll be something. And we can, we can leave ourselves open to whatever that particular problem is that we have because we're all, we're all weak in different areas. And David was standing looking where he shouldn't have been looking, lounging where he shouldn't have been lounging, and he's looking over and he's being tempted, putting himself into this place of sexual temptation. Now we need to remind ourselves of something at this point. This is a man who wasn't sexually starved. <laughs> this is a man who already had seven wives. One of them, Michael, was, had been, she had been given to another man, so that was a real mess. She was now married to somebody else, a man called Palti. But then on top of that, he had uh, married Abigail. We've all looked at her story. What a beautiful woman. He had Abigail, a woman who would urge him to be a man of God. He had another one called Ahinoam. He had another one who was a daughter of King Geshur. We'll see about her in the months to come if we continue with the story of David. Um, her name was Macha. He had another one, number five, she was Hakith. He had another one, she was number six, Abital. And then he had number seven was Elah. Now he had enough wives to be going on with, didn't he? <laughs> but what's he doing looking out, and he's looking out over a woman who already has a husband? Now the interesting thing is, this woman Bathsheba was married to uh, Uriah, who was one of David's mighty men. And not only was Uriah one of his mighty men, who, mighty men, who by the way was out at that particular moment, he was out fighting on the battlefield for David. I mean, how disgraceful. You talk about bringing disgrace in the name of the Lord. Uriah is one of his mighty men. He's out fighting for David whilst David's inviting his wife to come up to the palace. And not only was Uriah one of David's mighty men, but actually Bathsheba's father, Eliam, had also been one of David's mighty men. Now I want you to let that drop in your spirit for a minute because I believe, remember the mighty men and their wives who were with David before he became king and they were out being chased by Saul. Those particular men had brought their families. Remember in Ziglag, their families were taken away. The families traveled with them. And here's what I think. I think that Bathsheba as a young girl was running around the camp when David was, was being persecuted by Saul. I wonder, and it just struck me just this week, I wonder had the enemy set a trap even back then in her childhood, that she looked up to him as a hero and as a little girl, that she was infatuated with David. And I wonder if David hadn't even talked to her or played with her or joked with her and whether there was even a something that the enemy had put in his heart to think she was a beautiful child. Whatever it was, the enemy had set a trap and David saw her and wanted her. 
And of course, we, we know the outcome, and we've just read it, how he sent for her, and uh, the trap went off. I've written in your notes, when Satan sets a trap, he always makes it appealing to our flesh. And as soon as we begin to entertain the possibility of giving in, we're on dangerous ground. Have you ever thought sometimes where, you know, you really want to watch your eating, and you know, you want to be really good, and then you get a thought, I'd love something on the fridge, and you're thinking, no, 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 I'm not taking that. And then after a wee while, you keep thinking about it. And then the minute or two you think, maybe I could have it. <laughs> you ever thought like that? And then you think, oh, I could. And maybe you go up and open the fridge and have a wee look at it. <laughs> and you think, should I? Or should? And you say, there's a point, isn't there? There's a point where you decide to go for it. That's the way sin is described in James chapter 1. Because temptation is a process. And the enemy knows how we operate. And he know, and this is, I can just see David and he's thinking, he's looking at her and he's thinking, wow, she's a beautiful woman. And he's maybe remembering, oh yes, that's the wee girl who used to run around the camp. And he's thinking, wow, she's beautiful now. I couldn't have her, she's married to one of my mighty men. And then he begins to think, I'm the king. Maybe I could have her. And so he moves to a point where he moves from being tempted where he gives in and that's exactly what it tells us in James chapter 1 verse 13 to 15. I actually feel I need to read you that verse. I hadn't, um, I, I just, uh, yeah I have actually written it. No that's another verse. Let me just read it to you, James chapter 1. You know the enemy is so subtle and the enemy, it's, it's, we can laugh when it's a piece of cake or something but do you know something when it's something more serious? We need to remember that the enemy uses exactly the same tactics and we need to be alert and aware that the enemy wants us to fall. He really wants to, to cause us to fall into sin. And here's what it says. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, that's where you want it, you're not, you're not going to take it, but then you begin to think about it, and desire comes to the point where you decide you're going to go for it. That's where, it, the, where the deed is conceived, and it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And so we see that, that the enemy had set this trap for David, and David had fallen hook, line, and sinker, as we would say, into the trap. David Remember, God had called David a man after his own heart. He'd even given him the throne of Israel. He should have been ruling the kingdom with integrity instead of committing adultery and causing the enemies of the Lord to ridicule and blaspheme. And I've written in your notes, we need to be aware of our weakness, of our own weaknesses and the temptation process that we feel. And we need to be aware that we often can actually commit spiritual adultery with the world. And we read about that in James 4 and 4. Do you know, whenever we sin against God, whenever we do something that, uh, whenever we become worldly instead of spiritual, whenever we use our flesh and listen to our flesh instead of listen to the Holy Spirit in us, we can actually commit what, what, the, what the Bible calls spiritual adultery 
with the world. Let me read it to you, James 4 and 4. We are tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Then when sin is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We're going to see that's exactly what happened here. The sin that David committed actually ended up bringing forth death. I want to tell you that when we listen to the lies of the enemy and we do things the easy way, the worldly way, the way that our flesh would lead us to, when we make those steps and we actually commit the stuff that we know God's saying, don't go that way. When we, when we move towards what the enemy's saying instead of what the Lord's saying, do you know what happens? We're actually coming into a place of spiritual death. And God wants us to know life and life more abundant. And all those lies that the enemy tells you, if you just do this, you'll have it easy. So you might as well go the easy way. Just go and enjoy yourself. Take the easy way out instead of listening to what the Bible says, instead of listening to what God's saying to you. Do you know what? It's just going to lead to death and confusion. It's going to lead to hurt and pain and a mixed up life and a life that's not going anywhere. A life where you're not going to know the joy of the Lord is your strength. A life that's going to lead you into more and more complications. And you know, there comes a point where we need to decide what voice are we going to listen to? What direction are we going to go? And so we see that there were consequences to all of this. Let's just read on to the next verse. Second Samuel 11, verse 5. And it says, And the woman conceived. Now this is in the natural. But remember, we've just been reading that when we sin, that we conceive in the spiritual, we conceive death. And so she conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I'm with child. Now here's the thing. There's a consequence to sin. And here's Bathsheba, can't you just see it? She's just been with David and uh, she's probably feeling guilty. Her husband's out in the battlefield. She realises she's taken the pregnancy test. <laughs> the blue thing, whatever it is. Can't you just see it? And she's having a look at the pregnancy test. Oh my goodness. I'm pregnant. And she immediately sends up a messenger or somebody on the QT to go around the back door of the palace to tell David. Isn't there a shame when we sin? You can just see how the panic and the shame would come in that her husband's out fighting for her and for every, everyone in Israel and David's lined up in the palace and the two of them have got up to whatever and, and here she is, she's ended up pregnant. Numbers 32 and 23 says, be sure your sin will find you out. You know, sin has a way of coming to the light. And God has a way of reminding us of our sin. Not to condemn us, but to bring us to a place where we confess our sin and receive forgiveness. Galatians 6, 7 to 10 says, we reap what we sow. We can pretend that all is well, but eventually our sin will be exposed in one way or another. And if we can manage to hide it through this life it'll be exposed in the life to come because the lord will have a word with us about it and you know what if it's not exposed it's going to ruin you because it's like a hidden spiritual cancer inside you that will eat away at you and ruin god's plans for your life we can pretend that all is well but eventually our sin will be exposed in one way or other before long all israel would know that Bathsheba was pregnant while her husband was on the battlefield before long she was going to begin to show as we would talk about. It would be a little bump to start with. And after a while that would get bigger and bigger. 
for no longer could she say, I could put a little bit of weight on. <laughs> it would be very evident what the weight was. Her sin would be seen before all of Israel. And of course, not only is there the consequences of sin, but you'll see the next heading I have in your notes is the cover-up. Because at this point, David's panicking. And his only thought is, how can I cover this up? We ever there? We ever in a situation where you're trying to cover your sins? I think all of us have done this. Trying to pretend, sometimes covered up to ourselves, to pretend to ourselves, maybe it's not as bad as thought, covered up. And so David sent for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Let's just read it from 2 Samuel 11, verse 6. Here's what it says. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing. <laughs> Do you ever see the hypocrisy of this? He's asking this man, he's just slept with, with Joab's wife. He's brought Joab up to the palace. And he said, How are you doing, by the way? As if he's interested. How are you doing? And how, are the, how the people were doing? And how the war is prospering? And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed, he's sending him down to his house to go to be with his wife. He's thinking that if Uriah sleeps with her, well then it'll cover the sin. If, when the child, when she comes to notice that she's pregnant, everybody will think that this child belongs to Uriah. So he sends Uriah down to the house, and it says in verse, uh, verse 6, that Uriah, so Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. So he's sending him gifts of food after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his own house. So when David, uh, wh but so when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, can you just see the panic in his? He's thinking, goodness, he's not going down. So David said to Uriah, "Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your own house?" Just listen to his answer. And Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. What an honourable man Uriah was. He had just left the battlefield. He had left his comrades. He knew the hardship they were putting up with. And here he was, it was legally okay for him to go and sleep with his wife. It was legally okay for him to have the comfort of being with his wife. And he's saying, but I wouldn't take that comfort whilst my friends and my comrades in battle are out there in the open field. This is a man of great integrity. And I tell you, this is a man who actually shows David up. Because David had, had slipped down. David was not thinking as an honourable man at this point. He was just thinking about saving his skin. And so uh, he did, he didn't, uh, that didn't work. And so David was going to have to uh, think again. And so it says that in verse 12, Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So he's biding his time now, saying, Uriah, don't go back to the battlefield just yet. Wait another day. And in the meantime, uh, he is trying to do another uh, cover up. He's trying to he's trying to work another scheme. So he says to Uriah, wait here, and then he says, so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Verse thirteen. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, 
and David made him drunk. So he brought him to have something to eat with him with the, at the palace. And, uh, and as, as they were eating, David is piling up the drink into him. And obviously he couldn't refuse the king. And at evening, uh, Uriah went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his lord. But he did not go down to the house. Now here's the thing. David thought that under the influence of alcohol, if he could pile in the drink as he was having his, his meal, David thought if he could get him tipsy, that he would lower his standards, that he would lower his defence, that under the influence that he would give in and he would go to be with his wife. But you know what? This man, Uriah, was made of sturdier stuff. And he did not allow alcohol to, to make him do what he wouldn't have done. In, in his right mind and so he didn't go near his wife he remained honourable and it was at this point of panic that David had to come up with another scheme let's read now what he goes on to do verse 14 can you see how sin leads from one thing to another do you see how sin once you commit sin even if it's a small thing it can easily then spread into something a little bit greater and a little bit greater sin is like cancer it spreads and so uh, in the morning it says it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab. Can't you see he probably didn't sleep that night? He thought, I brought Uriah home, he's been here a couple of days. He still hasn't gone down to sleep with Bathsheba. And he's beginning to panic and he's probably lying in his bed all night and thinking, what can I do to cover up, up the sin? What can I do to protect my name and the name of Bathsheba? He's thinking, how can I do this cover up? And then the next morning he has an answer. He's obviously, you know, when we're desperate and we're living in sin and not confessing our sin, you know what happens? The enemy whispers and we begin to get deeper and deeper and he will whisper situations and things into your life for you to slip into that you would never dream of. That's why I say that none of us can point a finger at Christ. Do you know what? If any of us were in a particular situation, there's no telling what any of us would do. There but for the grace of God go I and go you. And so it says in the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. David, David wrote a letter to Joab. Now Joab was the commander of the army and he was, he was like a henchman for David. And David really had no respect for Joab because Joab had committed murder in the past. If you remember the story about Abner and David had actually cursed Joab because of that. This man, Joab, was already a murderer. And he was, David had lamented in the past about how strong this man was and how he, David knew that this man could lead him the wrong way. But David felt weak, too weak to handle this man. And here he is, he's making himself vulnerable to Joab because he's now asking Joab to do a dishonourable act, to actually commit, set this man in the hottest place of the battle. And between them they were scheming for Uriah to die. In God's sight, it was murder. And so David is, is scheming and he has entered into a diabolical plan. I tell you, the enemy, what he does is diabolical. That's a word for Satan. 
And, and he wants to pull you and me into his diabolical plans, into things that will dishonor God. He wants to pull you aside. He doesn't want you to, to, to go forward and honor the name of the Lord. He wants you to dishonor. He wants to pull you to the side. And so poor, poor Uriah is going to the battle. He's a letter in his, in his hand for Joab, and he doesn't know that the letter that he's carrying is his own death warrant. And Joab goes ahead and he puts him in the battle and, and he, he causes this man to die. It's very, very interesting that we know that sin will spread out its tentacles and it will choke us. And we need to remember that murder is an awful sin, but we need to remember that the Bible says that judging others and gossiping about them is actually from the same root as murder. We can so often, you know, excuse ourselves for speaking out negatively and gossiping over people. We can so easily do that. And you know what? It's the same sin. It's, it's from the same root sin that we need to be aware of. It's interesting that 1 Peter 4 verses 15 to 16 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. That has always astounded me that the busybody is in the same paragraph as the murderer. And Jesus said himself that murder comes from the root of hatred against your brother. It's so important that we remember that. First John 3.15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. I mean, it's from a root of hatred. It's from a, it's from a root of judging and hating. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge it will be measured back to you. We need to be careful what we speak because negative words and words that are, are, have got hatred in them are actually coming from the same sin as murder. So David had compromised himself with Joab. He'd come into agreement with Joab and uh, it wasn't very long before he got a message back from Joab saying the deed was done. And, you know, Joab had done it. We, we probably will take a moment just to read it. Um, but let's just what it's, hear what it says here. Uh, here's the message back to, to David from Joab in Second Samuel 11. Uh, verse 22 so the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him and the messenger said to David surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the fields we're describing the battle then Joab said we drove them back as far as the entrance to the gate the archers shot from the wall at your servants and some of the king's servants are dead so he's, he's, he's telling them we were too close to the wall and uh, in the battle the report is from Joab there was some people were killed and of course, in the natural, David would have been saying, that's not good enough, you shouldn't have been there. David, in the natural, would have been sending back a report to Joab saying, you know, why did you do that? David, as, as, the, as the king, would have been asking Joab, what were you doing so close to the wall that these men could have been killed? But look at how crafty and subtle Joab is. Just as an add-on, he says, the message comes to David, and... Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. In other words, he's saying, I did what you told me to. You better not be saying, you better not be coming to, 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 to scold me about this. I did what you said. And then David, look at David's reaction. Instead of, instead of, um, of, 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 of correcting 
Joab, instead of, of telling him you should have done that in a different way, he doesn't. It says, verse 25, Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Do you know, we can think in life that we are getting by, that we're covering up sin, that we're getting away with stuff. But you know, the Lord is watching. The Lord's eye is on everything that we think and everything we do and every word that we speak. And you see, David had made himself vulnerable now to a very strong, at times violent, ungodly man at times. He had made himself vulnerable to Joab. And when we sin and we don't confess it, now I want, I'm t this is all the negative part of it. The, the positive part of this is that God is calling us to confess our sin. And, and if only David somewhere along the line had confessed his sin, I believe God would have made a way for him. But you see, when we don't confess our sin, it begins to affect our judgment about right or wrong. And the enemy can take us even further away from God. I just wanted to read just a couple, just one verse from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sin has hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perversely. You know, it's our sin. When we sin, whether it's by what we say or what we do, when we sin and we don't confess our sin, do you know what happens? There is this big barrier between us and God. And you know, it's easy for us to become a Christian, to ask Jesus to be our saviour. And, and it's easy at some point along the way to be pulled astray, for the enemy to whisper lies in our ears through circumstances in life, through disobedience, through all manner of things. It's very easy to get off the path and to go down a line in the world where actually God stops being part of your thinking or your lifestyle. And it's possible for that to go on for a long time. I just spoke to a lovely woman this morning and that had happened to her. She'd been away from God for a long time, but praise God, she's come back again. And you see, the Lord wants us just to simply confess. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. I often say he's got a long arm. And when we drift away and we get... We get, we, you know that word about being backsliders? Where we slide back? I was brought up in, in Stramore, in the farm in Stramore, and, uh, and Olive's here today, she's living on the same farm as, as whenever I was a child. And I remember uh, most winters, my father having to go down to the fields because the fields used to get flooded, Stramore, and a lot of the animals would get stuck in the muck and my father would have to go down and get a tractor or whatever and pull the animals out of the muck. And that reminds me of what it's like to be spiritually a backslider. We can just get into the world and we can get into situations where we, get, we, we slip back into mucky things of the world, into sin, and we get stuck. And the Lord wants to pull us up. 
He doesn't want us to be like those animals that were backslidden into the muck. He wants to pull you out of the muck and he wants you to go forward and he wants to work even those years that you spent away from him. He wants to actually turn them all around for good and actually bring them in to be part of your story. How does he do that? I don't know, but he does. He, he restores the years that the locusts have eaten. He, it's miraculous. He's a God who wants to encourage you. And so here he was. David had dropped his guard. Just struck me this week that in Psalm 86 that David had said, Give me a single heart, O God. Unite my heart to fear your name. David had this desire, but he had slipped. It's possible to love God and yet get sidetracked. And you know what? The Lord is faithful when we confess our sin. He is faithful to forgive us our sin. And see, now that David had had disobeyed God and done things that were wrong, now that he had listened to the enemy and compromised himself through his sin, now the enemy had legal ground to operate in David's life and take advantage of him through Joab. And when we sin, it, 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 we, we, it, it, it the enemy does exactly the same. He takes legal ground. You know, when we sin, we give the enemy legal ground. That's what I often say. Legal ground to torment you in that area. But when you confess your sin, the Lord will forgive you your sin, wipe you clean, and take away the legal ground. Now, there might be consequences, and in this situation, there was going to be consequences of David's sin. Because uh, Bathsheba became his wife, but as every month went on and she became more and more noticeably pregnant, remember your sin will find you out. As people began to see the pregnancy develop, I believe that as the child grew in Bathsheba's womb, I believe that David felt himself becoming quieter and more silent before God. I believe that David's communication with God was silenced. And we're going to just read a couple of our, I know our time's almost up, and I don't want to leave this on a negative note, but I want to say this much. We're going to look, we're going to continue next week, and we're going to see, do you know what the title is for next week? Afterwards, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I'm going to repeat that. Afterwards, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's the note we're going to leave on next week. But I want to tell you, and we haven't time to look at it now, but if you read in Psalm 32, you're going to see that David was actually affected physically. Because of his sin, if you really belong to God and you do some stuff that really grieves the Holy Spirit, if you go into sinful, into some great sin even, if you sin against God and you're a believer, you will begin to feel it. And Hebrews makes that clear. If God doesn't discipline you, then you don't belong to God. But when you feel it in yourself and you're trying to cover it up, if you really belong to God, sin will affect you. You'll feel ashamed. You'll feel disgraced. You'll, you, the Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin. And even though you might be away for a long, long time, the Holy Spirit will continue to reach after you and to convict you and to pull you back to God. That's why I often say, when people say to me that their child trusted Jesus as a child, but now they're out in the world and they're doing this and doing all kinds of things, I often say to them, listen, if they confess Jesus as their saviour as a child, the Lord will continue to go after them. Don't be saying they're not saved now. Begin to call them forth in Jesus' name. Because God doesn't, God doesn't change his mind. 
I tell you, I've heard so many stories from people who did the most awful things, but some were away in the background. I was talking to a young girl just quite recently in a meeting, not here, and, and she, was, she was in an awful situation. It was so complicated, it was awful. And, and there was tears were going down her face. And at the end of the conversation, after hearing it all, she said, oh, by the way, when I was a young girl, I asked Jesus into my heart. And here she was, sitting broken-hearted about what she'd done. And after all those years, God had brought her back. He is such a faithful, long-suffering, loving, kind-hearted God. He's a God of goodness, and he goes after us, and he turns things around. We haven't time to go into all of this. I'm just believing that next week we're going to really, we're going to really have victory over all of this. But here's some things for you to think about. Sin causes us to fall. One sin leads to another. Sin brings us into the trap of the enemy. Sin will bring you into the trap of the enemy to shut your mouth so that you will have no witness for God and your life, your life will be actually not living and, and coming into the potential that God has planned for you. Satan wants to steal your destiny. So the enemy wants to bring you into a life of compromise. He wants to bring you into a life of living a lie. At this time when Bathsheba was getting ready to, to give birth to this child, she and David were living a lie. And so many Christians are living a lie because they're not confessing. They're not bringing stuff into the truth and getting rid of it. You see, God wanted to bless David by bringing things into the light. Confession is a gift. Satan wants to bring you into a life of compromise, living a lie, so that we lose our cutting edge and settle for a mundane life. Once you get saved, you're always saved. I believe without a doubt that's what the Bible teaches. There is security in our salvation. It's a covenant relationship that can't be broken. But sin will break our relationship and the joy of that relationship with heaven. And sin will actually cause us to settle for something less. And this big barrier between us and God will take away our joy, stop us enjoying God. And one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to bring fear into our hearts. And once we start to entertain fear, the enemy has us. Because when we, when we start to fear, we're not believing God. Perfect, God's perfect love casts out fear. And God wants to keep the line of communication free between us and heaven, that we can live with authority and use God's word and declare it and have victory in every area of our lives. God wants you to rise up to be mighty woman. He wants you to rise up to be warrior woman who can take on life situations, not just for yourself, but for your friends and for your family, that you can fight for situations, that you know how to wield the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that you know that you're in constant living relationship with God every day, that you hear him, that you speak to him, that you tell him your troubles, that you tell him the trouble of that one or someone else, that you intercede for people who need you, that you become a living, walking child of God who is spirit-filled and able to do exploits and things that you'd never imagine. That's what God has for you. But the enemy, if he can't have your soul, because once you're saved, you're out of his clutches. But I'll tell you, he's after your life. He doesn't want you to walk into that destiny. He doesn't want you to do those exploits. He wants you to live a mundane, poverty-stricken life where you're just under his foot. 
And you know what? It grieves the Holy Spirit. And God is grieved when his children don't come and confess their sin and ask for forgiveness. And you know what? Bringing things into the light, light, bringing your sin into the light is a gift from God because he wants to set you free. He wants to get you back into the battle again. And you know what? He wants to set you free from condemnation. He doesn't want the enemy to hold that over your head. He doesn't want you to be under the enemy's foot. He wants you to be the woman he's called you to be. So Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we thank you that whilst David sinned in such huge ways, Lord, and whilst we'll see next week that there was things that he had to go through, we want to thank you that you still had your purposes in mind for him that you still allowed your son to come down through his family tree, that the big plan for his life, Lord, came forth despite his weaknesses. Lord, I thank you that you had grace to bring him. We'll see next week to that point, Lord, that he did confess and bring his sin into the open and receive forgiveness. Lord, I just pray that every woman here today, Lord, that they would know that they can have this fresh encounter of confession with you every day and repentance for the things that we get wrong and a constant washing and a constant renewing and a constant infilling of your Holy Spirit to actually, actually move forward into the plan that you have for each woman in this place. God, I just thank you for your particular designs for each woman. I thank you, Lord, that every woman in this place is unique with different gifts, with different desires, with different situations. But thank you, you're the God who is working all things together for good and you want to pull us and lift us up. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to fall. Thank you that your word says that you're able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the throne. Thank you, Lord, that you're such a great God that you love us. Psalm 37 says, the steps of a good man are, let's put it in, a good woman. The steps of a good woman are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though she falls, she shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds her with his hand. The Lord today is for you. He's not against you. He's ready to lift you up again. He's ready to set you on your feet and get you going for him and actually do greater exploits through your life than you have ever experienced. He is ready to give you the abundance of life that he spoke about in John chapter 10. He wants you to know that he loves you, that he's on your side and that he died to wash away every sin and every stain and give you the strength and the infilling of the Holy Spirit to do all that he has called you to do. Get excited because he has many things to do. Don't go to sleep. Don't let the enemy rock you to sleep and bring you under condemnation. Don't, let, don't believe that hiss of the serpent that tells you there's nothing more for you to do. Believe what God says, that you have a hope and a future, and he knows what it is. And he's calling you forth to walk in it, in Jesus' name. Really wanted us to sing this song today. It's one of my favourite songs, and I'd love that we could stand and sing it. Jesus, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me 
by the snow. Let's know that we are, we are washed clean. We are, you know what, we are as pure as the driven snow in Christ. That's an amazing thing to be able to speak out in Jesus' name. Let's just stand and we sing this song. God wants to give you life, real life, life abundant. God wants you to know the greatness of his power to work in your life, that you have been created, not for 100 years ago, not for 20 years from now, but you have been created for such a time as right now. You are in position you are ready to fulfill the plans that God has for you for right now. And that means trusting him. That means holding up your shield of faith and believing that he is for you and not against you and that you can trust him for anything you're going through right now. And taking the, shield, taking the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and declaring his word over yourself. I pray that God will move in every woman's heart, including my own today, in a new depth of understanding of his love for us and his grace towards us. He gives us more grace, girls. More grace as we need it. The supply is there. We are here at the front. There are some women who would love to pray with you if you want to come forward. Please come and we'll pray with you in agreement for God's best for your life. And please come next week. And let's have a grand finale as we remember that afterwards comes the peaceable fruits of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>